Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts. It is 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the 22nd day of May 2014 and we'll be semi-live here for the next hour. What I mean by semi-live, this will be a tape-to-air show, but the listening live audience is not very prevalent. But anyway, guys, if you are listening live, it'll still be a new show, so... Hang in there and just pretend that I'm live here in Atlanta, Georgia, and not babysitting my daughter at this moment. So, some stuff I wanted to get into today. I was going to air my interview with Lee Camp that we did a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> that was uh, fantastic. We both uh, agreed on a lot of things. Of course, we disagreed on a few things and then um, had some, I guess, some corroboration at the end talking about solutions, and I think it's a very important interview to air because it does unite, you know, I guess I guess it would be considered right-wing by a, a collectivist, the person that has to put somebody in a box or a group in order to um, figure out what kind of belief system that they have. And, and uh, I guess Lee Camp, if you're looking from, once again, a collectivist standpoint, would be a, a, a left-angled uh, person. But uh, he understands the corruption between the corporations, the corruption in the system currently, the... Um, the actual document that came out from Princeton University, once again, the elite saying that uh, that we're in an oligarchy, like we didn't already know this, but that's where we're at. So the in, the conversation was very, very good, so that'll be coming up here in the next half hour. But I did want to get into some news and some ideas before um, before the interview. Now, I came across an article today that really did spark some controversy with myself and amongst a couple of my friends that I know. And it was regarding, once again, state-run schools. Now, everybody understands where I fall in the state-run education system. Uh, the monolithic um, Board of Education, which I believe should be dismantled and return the, the idea of curriculum and schooling to the local teachers and uh, local, I guess, local parents and parenting units there. Because when it comes down to it, when you look at... The, the, the teachers themselves and the administrators, they don't need to be dictated on how to teach. These people already know how to teach for the most part. And if they don't, you could use a free market system, how dare we. And if a, a teacher is not very good, then hire somebody else. But if you get rid of the Department of Education, you would have more funding and more money to do real educational projects like what you see in some of these charter schools where they're moving towards a how dare they a one classroom environment much like what we had up until the 1950s before all these tax-free foundations and corporations started to get their measly little hands on our system and then once again as they always do consolidate and form power centers so that they can never be challenged and then they become so monolithic that everybody typically just says well what are you going to do well, I think eventually what we're going to do is we're going to get so pissed off at the way that the system is run currently that we're going to start pushing back. And we can't just push back and gain an inch and think that we've won the battle because that's what I've seen here from activists, whether it's a local activist or if it's a it's a group like here in Georgia where they expanded the, the privilege of gun rights, which is, once again, if you were studying logical fallacies, you understood what I just said right there um, – gun rights isn't uh, or privilege to own a gun there is no such privilege whatsoever is granted to you by the constitution but they'll write municipal laws and 
and all these other clerical things in order to take away your God-given inalienable rights if you want to use the the constitutional term, or you can just use the rights of free humanity if you want to use a general term as uh, depicted in Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley. I think it's on page 92, so if you guys want to look that up. He talks about a free society is the only society that will have arms to take and throw off a tyrannical government or to oppose a government with equal force, and that became obsolete as soon as we developed high-tech weapon systems and now we're moving into the age of robotics. So now there is an extreme unbalance. And for those people that think that the gun owners want to overthrow the federal government, you guys are all morons because we can't beat drones. We can't beat F-16s with guns. We have guns to stop criminals, and that's it. If we wanted to overthrow a government, we would, I guess, just withdraw from the system, withdraw from the fiat money system, and there goes your government because there goes your funding. Everybody stops paying taxes. There goes government because all the money is gone. So the argument that we want uh, militias and anything of the sort to overthrow the federal government is poppycock, and that is all that it ever will be. So transitioning away from that, moving into the idea of state-run education. So this article, and I'm going to play the video as well, and hopefully the audio will come through as I go to make sure that all my levels are correct here. It says, Father Upset, and this is from... Um, I think it's a Fox News affiliate in Kansas City. It says, Father is upset on the terms on the, on the school's sex education poster. Now, I'm a 35-year-old parent, and, you know, I, I can understand conceptually what they're trying to get across here, but as, a, as, a, as an adult, I'm offended. Like, if I saw something like this out in public, that's kind of offensive. So... And I'm not one of those person, people that want to run around and, and, and curtail everyone's speech because I do believe in free speech, especially speech that's controversial because that's the one that should be protected the most because if you start discretionarily limiting people's free speech, now you're running into a, a quagmire, which we have today, where everything's racist. And if you don't like certain things, that you're racist. If you don't believe in certain things, then you're racist. If you don't believe in the anthropogenic global warming, even though over 9,000 scientists with doctorates and PhDs from universities don't believe it, then we're all just kooks and we need to be dealt with. So that's where this all leads. But you do have things that are called, and my wife was really nice enough to have a discussion with me about this, and things that are called age-appropriate discussions or age-appropriate terms. And what we're seeing is in a 13-year-old classroom, as you guys will hear from the story, and if you don't hear it from the, from the audio clips, I will read the descriptions of what was on the actual flyer itself. You can decide for yourself whether a 13-year-old or a 12-year-old or even, a, you know, maybe even an 11-year-old, depending on how, how old the people are going into this school, they can actually walk by or walk into the classroom and see this. See if this is some grammar that you would want your kids to understand, or not even understand, but even hear at this young of an age. And then strike up a conversation having to explain to them what it is. And it really is taking the burden away from the parent who should be the one that's doing this. As, as uncomfortable as it may seem, that's part of being a parent. There are things that are uncomfortable. You know, changing a dirty diaper is uncomfortable, but you have to do it. Otherwise, your kid's going to develop diaper rash. 
you know, having conversations about sex is something uncomfortable, but as the adult and not as the stunted intellectual child that is in an adult body, you should take all in that responsibility and own it and then go through and push through the fear that you may have. And as I have always said, Anytime that you run into these roadblocks of fear, whether it's a roadblock of fear of being arrested, a roadblock of fear of having a confrontation, or a roadblock of fear of just telling somebody how it is, nine times out of ten, the fear that you trump up in your mind never even comes close to equating to what the situation actually dictates. It is usually a lot less. I found this out during sales where I would tell people the truth. I would tell them as upfront and honestly as I could, even if it was the answer that they didn't want to hear, I found that nine times out of ten after telling them those answers that they would actually do business with me because they respected me for telling them the truth as difficult as it may seem and not just telling them what they wanted to hear. Because anybody can do that. I mean, shoot, that's what collectivists do all day. Tell you what you want to hear. Yay, everything's great. The economy's beautiful. We just need to stop global warming and then everything will be right in the universe. Never mind deforestation, never mind government pollution, never mind any of that. If we just have to stop our carbon emissions, then the world will be a better place. And we'll use that money to screw you in the backroom deals that we've already made with large corporations. But who's keeping score? So let's get to the article here at hand as I go off on multiple tangents. And let's listen to the newscast and see... What's got this man a little bit upset? A father is upset after his 13-year-old showed him a poster hanging on a classroom door, a poster listing sex acts. The poster was hanging in a classroom in Hawker Grove Middle School in the Shawnee Mission School District. And Mark Ellis says if what it lists is part of the curriculum, the curriculum needs to change. And we do want to warn you, one parent found it objectionable, and you may too. Late last week, Mark Ellis's 13-year-old daughter showed him a picture of this poster. Why would you put it in front of 13-year-old students? He thought the poster, which lists things like oral sex and grinding, might have been a prank until he contacted the school principal and was told it was a teaching material. The poster that you reference is actually a part of our um, middle school health and science materials. And so it is a part of our district approved curriculum. However, the item is meant to be part of a lesson and so certainly as a standalone poster without the context of the teacher-led discussion, um, I could see that there might be some pause for concern. But Ellis is now concerned that what's on this poster is being taught to his 13-year-old in school. Who approved this? You know, this had to pass through uh, enough hands that someone should have said, hey, wait a minute, these are 13-year-old kids. District spokesperson Leanne Neal says the poster needs to be viewed in the context of a bigger curriculum, which she calls abstinence-based for students in middle school. The curriculum is part of, it aligns with national standards um, around those topics, and it's a part of our, um, our curriculum in the school district. But Ellis thinks if that's the case, the curriculum needs to change. This is has nothing to do with abstinence or uh, sexual reproduction, actually, a lot of these things. I would like to see that this particular uh, portion of this curriculum is removed from the school. And if the curriculum doesn't change, Ellis plans to remove his daughter from the sexual education classes. We're told the poster has since been taken down. The district spokesperson says the main issue is that it should have never been left up after the lesson had ended. 
Ellis says he feels parents have a right to know what their children are learning, and he wants other parents to know that this is now part of the curriculum. Okay, so there are a couple of things wrong with this. Number one, the issue, well, I'll get into the philosophical issue behind it. Let's get into the real issue. Number number one, <clears throat> parents, you actually do have an opportunity to go and review the curriculum before it's pushed out to you. So the fact that this man is upset about this, yes, it's somebody else's fault, but yes, it's also your fault as well because you have the opportunity to go and review the curriculum. So let's not just keep passing the buck here and say that it's the state's fault because there is a double-edged sword here and that, yes, I understand that that's probably not the most fun thing to go and do, but once again, do you do you take ownership of your life and the way that your life operates, or do you leave it in the hands of other people to dictate how your life operates, how your kids are taught, what they're taught, when they're taught it? So to me, it's it's a fault on both parties. Now, the philosophical issue behind this is that the state, through the educational system and through... Um, all their departments, as you heard the, the spokesperson, it's always, well, the department says that this is part of the curriculum that is nationally sanctioned. I don't give a damn who sanctions this curriculum. I don't give a damn if, if, the, if the Pope sanctions this. This is inappropriate, 100% inappropriate. And shame on the parents for not going in and reviewing it, and shame on the district for pushing this kind of stuff out. Oh, well, it was taken out of context. Yeah, but if I say something on air and it's taken out of context, then they can run and slander me six ways to Sunday. But if you try to if you try to point out that they're teaching kids about about anal sex and about um, vaginal sex and all, and these are the terms that were on the actual poster, so it's not like I'm making this stuff up, you know. And oh, it's just very bizarre. It's very bizarre to have people so. I guess disconnected from the way that things work and disconnected from reality that they feel, especially in this educational, this was a great example of the educational system because you have the spokesperson that says, well, it meets district guidelines and then they're like, and the district guidelines meet the nationally sanctioned curriculum. So once again, it's never anybody's fault. It's always some nebulous you know, governmental agency that handles this, and they're the ones that did it, and you can't blame me, and I don't want to get in trouble, and that's what it is. We're a bunch of people with no spines in this nation anymore. Nobody wants to stand up and say anything. Nobody wants to be held responsible. You just want to collect your paycheck and move on. Hey, the Russians did that, and it worked out great from 1917 on. Just ask them. It was fantastic. All of this bought and sold propaganda crap that we're going to collectivize everything and the world's going to be so much better if we can do this, that, and the other thing. It really isn't that. It really is a mindset that you're, we're battling against. It's the mindset of collectivists versus individualism. And the collectivists love to put people in little boxes, and it's the only way that they can actually think is that what team are you on? Wait, are you on the, are you on the climate change team? If you're not on the climate change team, then you're a denier. I'm going to put you in that group. No, not the fact that I've actually looked at both sides of the argument, and I've seen that all the climate change stuff is absolute crap, and the global warming is crap, and the global cooling was crap. Here's a question for you. If there's so much dynamic change going on in the, in the, in the realm of climate, 
if there's so much general consensus, then how come the terms that were used to fearmonger the population from the 1970s, global cooling, which actually, if you look at it, would be 20 times as bad as global warming. And I'll get into that in a second. It went from global cooling in the 70s to global warming through, oh, greenhouse gases, we've known about them. Yeah, you've known about them through your Rockefeller-funded textbooks that were released when I was in 8th grade, and my 8th grade science teacher thought that it was the biggest load of crap that he'd ever seen in his entire life. This was in 8th grade. But then again, it just gets pushed through the curriculum. This is what we're going to teach now. This is how we're going to teach it. And this is what happens when you get a centralized governing body controlling the dialogue and the narrative that goes out to the children. Just like the Al Gore movie, you know, the Al Gore uh, climate change movie where, where everybody has to be afraid of climate change. They never tell you that they had to send out a 70-page paper redacting all of these factual inaccuracies that were put on in the movie. They never tell you that. They just say that, well, here's the movie to watch. Go get them, kids. 70 pages of absolute pure bull that was in that movie had to be released to the public. Yet some people still look at that as gospel, and they will still sit here and call me a denier because I don't believe that a bunch of corporations and a bunch of backroom insiders want to make money off of taxing me more, and that's some kind of conspiracy. Like the Federal Reserve some kind of conspiracy. Yeah, they are conspiracies, people, and just because you call me a conspiracy theorist doesn't mean that you're correct. You actually are correct grammatically. Because it is a theory of conspiracy. Actually, it isn't a theory. It is a conspiracy that is being played out. So that's what we're facing here. And then when you have the Department of Education and you have the way that these people use plausible deniability, this is a microcosm of our, of our justice system, a microcosm of our governmental system, and it's a perfect example of what's wrong in this nation. Number one, the parents and the people that should care don't care. They care about what they want to watch on TV. They care about what's coming up on football this weekend. They care about who's going to be at the tailgate. And they want to know who's going to be at the Memorial Day barbecue. That's all that they care about. And then the people that that are politically aware are typically misguided, and they're put into their political football systems of right-wing Republican versus left-wing Democrat. They go put on their jersey, and they say that this is the way that I have to be. Just like an example that um, I'll, I'll remember, one of my friends said that they ran into somebody at their work one time, and their work asked him, you know, well, you need to you need to vote Democrat if you want some better union laws, and, I, and they said, well, I don't, I don't really vote Republican or Democrat. I kind of look at the issues and vote that way, and they and they just kind of looked at him strange, like, well, you just don't really follow politics. And in reality, the person that looks at the issues does follow politics much more than the person that goes and pulls the lever. You're a useful idiot. You're a dupe. You're part of the problem. Now, if we could send you guys to re-education, I would. But that's not my style. I think it's everybody's individual right to choose what they want to do. But when you start making terrible choices and you're pissed off at the state for the ramifications of your terrible choices of not, you know, watching over your kids, watching what they're learning, watching what they're doing, having conversations about sex, then that's on you. That's not on the state. Now, the state just comes in as a filler and says, well, if you guys aren't going to do your job, then we'll go ahead and do it for you and we'll just brainwash your kids and let them do whatever. So, I don't know. It's it's a very sticky situation. It's a terrible it's a terrible example, but a pertinent one of what's going on in society and how this all operates and what we're up against. So, 
one more moment here as I will pull up the next article that I want to cover and then we'll get into the Lee Camp interview. Okay, the next article I wanted to get into is coming from the, it's actually pretty pertinent, pertinent to me, the Washington Post, and it says, Thai military seizes power in bloodless coup. Now, the reason I say this is kind of important to myself is that um, through, a, um, through a friend of my brother's, I actually have somebody that lives over in Thailand now, and he made a post on Facebook earlier this morning. It looks like it was taken down saying that there was a military coup overnight and that all TV, network, and Internet has been suspended. And when I looked on his Facebook post before making this podcast, it looks like that that post from this morning has been removed. So very interesting. So anyway, let's, um, let's talk about what's going on here in Bangkok, and I'll read you a little bit of this article to, um, to give you the rundown. Obviously, Thailand and is a um is a country that is been riddled by i mean it just it's riddled by like an elitist class and they really can't get stabilized democracy and then when they do get democratically elected people they get overthrown and let's read about why the coup was the second in eight years accomplished in a few minutes as anti well, we accomplished in a few minutes what anti-government protesters backed by the nation's traditional elite and staunch royalists have failed to achieve in the on the street the overthrow of the mock of the democratically elected government they have accused of being corrupt uh, could you ever imagine something like that happening here in america um nope not at all uh, the the junta leader, uh, our, the army chief Jin Pung Chu Ocha, uh, announced that he was taking power almost immediately after talks between the nation's bitter political rivals, which lasted a mere four hours over the last two days, ended in deadlock and the government refused to sign. So. Prayeth um, claimed that he would act to restore stability and bring a quick situation, or bring the situation quickly, bring the situation back to normal, amid increasing spams of violence and that, together with controversial court rulings, have rendered the government powerless and the country profoundly divided. And if we don't get our act together, people, this may be where the United States is going, because as we see. The divide and conquer strategy, which is this is why I wanted to touch on this, as we get the divide and conquer strategy here in America, it seems that there is nobody, uh, save a couple of people, that are trying to reach across aisles and really try to to save this nation and understand that we're very not very far apart by any stretch of the imagination, but the mainstream media and people in their ideological boxes believe that they are in the right. And it is their duty to tell us how we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to get along with one another, where in reality it is the exact opposite. But continuing in this article, with the troubles for Thailand, a regional economic hub whose ideologically whole white sandy beaches and elephant-filled jungles draw millions of tourists each year, could be just the beginning. He says, we are likely to see dark days, said, the poli- said political analysts of Bangkok's, um, I'm going to butcher this, Chamalong University. Where is Robert Wasman when I need him, right? Referring to the possibility of a violent resistance in the ousted government supporters. A deposed administration is now an act of Prime Minister. Um, once again, not even going to 
try to ex- pronounce this guy's name, was summoned to appear before the Hun- before the Junta Thursday night, seems to have gone into hiding and has made no statement condemning the coup. Four of its ministers ordered the army to compound the talks earlier, or ordered to the army to compound the talks for earlier today, and were in custody along with top parliament or top protest leaders. And it says, in quote, the rest of us are outside, are still fine and in safe places, which is what my friend said this morning. But the situation is very worrying, and we don't know what else can happen. The army, which imposed martial law and a surprise move on Thursday night that many sense was a prelude to a talking or taking full power, imposed a nationwide curfew that begins at 10 p.m., a clear sign it is concerned about potential unrest. During the latest coup in 2006, Bangkok residents were moved freely and wrapped ribbons and flowers around the tank turrets until dawn. So it's a little bit different than what we've seen before, a little bit more authoritarian, but in this day and age, does it surprise you? And going back to the guy's name, I can't pronounce, Prelith, Prelith, I guess Prelith called on the public not to panic this, not to panic this time either. He said the vast capital elevated train, the subway stations will be shut down early, filling the questions with filling with long queues and anxious office workers rushing rushed home along increasingly empty streets. After nightfall, the troops were deployed in armored personnel carriers to block main roads, including one in the front of the U.S. Embassy, diverted traffic to key intersections, and the major highways were virtually devoid of traffic, extraordinarily uh, for a normally bustling metropolis of 10 million people. That is pretty crazy. That would be like Atlanta completely shutting down. That's Atlanta's about, I don't know, actually it's like two sides of Atlanta. Maybe, I don't even know. How many people are in, like... Chicago. I don't know. Anyway, international cable news channels, international propaganda agents, it should say, including CNN and BBC, were taken off air, which is what my friend was saying earlier. Earlier, armed troops and dispersed, or excuse me, dispersed demonstrators from protest sites were competing or com- complaining groups that were camping out in one field of thousands of red shirts who supported the new ousted government and the others who had struggled for seven months to unseat it. So it's really interesting. And then we're going to hear what the talking um, talking head John Kerry has to say, the Skull and Bones member, the uh, authoritarian aristocrat. Um, I guess is he... It's not John Kerry, is it? Oh, I'm thinking of somebody else. Anyway... The Secretary of State John Kerry condemned the overtake and warned it would have negative implications on the U.S.-Thai relationship, but didn't announce immediate punitive steps. Nah, because there's nothing we want over there. And the State Department said they were re- it was review- reviewing millions in aid. Okay, well there we go. More of our tax dollars going to work to foreign nations as we become more and more bankrupt. There is no justification for a military coup, Curry, uh, Kerry said in a statement also calling the release of the detained politi- political leaders and the return to press freedom, which I would agree with. But if you're in a situation like this, this is standard operating procedure. Anybody that studied history would tell you that. The days of dramatic events and cumul- or culmination of societal sham laid bare after the 2006 dis- disposed former Prime Minister 
once again, I'm not even going to try A billionaire tycoon whose populist movement won every national election since 2001. The, con the conflict pits the majority rural poor in the north and northeast and the benefited from the populist, populist uh, policies against the urban-based elite based in Bangkok and the south. So the reason I wanted to get onto this, and you guys can read the full article, I'll put it up on the We Are Not Cattle site under the show notes for this podcast. And um, it really does show you where this all goes if the middle class is not stabilized in America. And, and I'm not trying to defend the middle class, and I'm not trying to play whatever kind of race card you guys want to throw at me, whatever kind of political ideology, you know, I don't want, you know, fair treatment, equal pay, whatever you guys want to call it. But this is where it all goes. If you get somebody that is... A socialist or a populist, I have nothing wrong with populists, and it's a very, it's a very, I guess, ethical way to approach politics. But if you give somebody that gets government handouts, and you give somebody that gives the lower class a leg up, and or not a hand up, they give them a leg up, and they just basically give them stuff, then you create division between people that are the working productive class, and you have people that are just the non-working, non-productive class. So. If you wanted to use the argument against my communist friends, the people that are in the the lower class or that you would deem the lower class that should be rebelling are the people that don't work anyway, so why would you want them in your political movement because they're not going to work for you? If the politician gets up there and says that they're going to get another free goodie, they're going to take the free goodie and they're going to stab you in the back. That is just the way it works. That is a society that we've created, and they've done an incredible job of dividing and conquering us and putting us against one another so that we infight with one another, and then we talk about the left, we'll talk about the Koch brothers, the right, and people like myself will talk about the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, uh, the Warren Buffetts, the George Soros, those types of groups. But in essence, if you look at them from a collectivist standpoint, those are the elite class and they like to dictate to us on how to do things, and they will use every media outlet possible. They will use everything that they can, propaganda spin, white propaganda, black propaganda, to get you in fighting with one another and to get you asking stupid questions like, is it racist? Where, like I said before in the, my experience, and I live in the deep south, everybody. I live just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and I have run into... In my entire professional career, I think I've run into two racist people, and I used to do legislative research when I believed in the system. I used to do legislative research for did it for about four months, so I hit 50 doors a day, so I talked to 50 business owners a day, and so do the math, out of those thousands of people that I talked to, two people were straight up racist. Everybody else could care less. They just wanted to have an equal opportunity to succeed, lower taxes, government get out of my life, that kind of stuff. Yeah, grab the corporation, tax them, make sure that they're getting their money because they're all offshore and exempt, and then they push it on the middle class like we need to pay more taxes, and that's the propaganda game that they play. So anyway, with that being said, I'm going to transition now into my interview with Lee Camp. Once again, thank you for listening, everybody. Get a friend, get informed, get involved. Try to expand your knowledge base, listen to both sides of the debate, research both sides of the debate. Don't find yourself diving into an ideology because all we'll do from ideologies is bounce around from one political, um, not political, I guess one, 
Oh, what's the best way to describe them? I guess one talking head to another, buying into whatever system of propaganda that they're selling, where you should be really discovering for yourself what your true beliefs are, why you believe them, back them up with facts, use the trivium, create your own reality. Not saying that objective reality doesn't exist, but create your own reality. Don't use narratives from other people. Don't use other people's worldviews and say that that sounds good. I'm going to inherit that. Think for yourself. Read for yourself. Research for yourself. And most importantly, respect each other. Respect others' opinions. And if you do argue or debate, debate in the trivium. Otherwise, you're just debating emotion. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. Check me out this Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Right here, you will find the link at the We Are Not Cattle homepage. So that's it, everybody. Enjoy the interview with Lee Camp. And as always, hey, peace, love, and liberty, everybody. What's wrong with that? All right. With me on the line is uh, Lee Camp of LeeCamp.net. After... Uh, we were just chatting before we came on air. He just had his uh, one-hour special released, and uh, I was telling him how much I appreciated not only talking the talk but walking the walk. So, um, Lee, thanks so much for joining me, man. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited about the special. It, it came out pretty good. I uh, taped it about a month ago in New York City. Yeah, and it's um, it, it's really nice to see you know not only you know molding comedy with the social issues that need to be addressed in society, but but doing it with such uh with such veracity is what I like to see. It reminds me of like the George Carlin where it's kind of like the no holds barred, you know I'm gonna stuff truth down your down your fucking throat and you can just eat it or regurgitate it. Either way, you're gonna get some, you're gonna get a face full of truth. So. We do appreciate you going out there and doing it uh, with style and flair, man. So, as always, thanks for coming coming on and being a part of the show and being a part yeah. of the movement to try to wake up humanity. For some odd reason, I am uh, uh, I tend towards the, the stuff that's more difficult to do is comedy. For some odd reason, I, I'm a moron like that and uh, have always decided, decided to make it as hard as possible for myself to make people laugh, but... Uh, it it's more fun that way. I feel like uh, you know when you take it to the take it to the next level in terms of difficulty. If, if it's easy, man. Everybody, it's kind of like why I do radio. I like doing mental gymnastics, and I like hearing myself sound like a dumbass every once in a while. So that's uh, the whole reason we do all these things. To uh, number one, to try to get try to get people thinking, man. Get out of the status quo because the status quo is really what's uh, what the problem is. So. Uh, I did want to talk about some some real, I guess, serious issues and, and get your perspective on it. I saw you do a, a video on net neutrality, which I was really excited about. I did um, a combo show on my last podcast of net neutrality and the TPP and which one was worse for humanity. And at the end of the day, it's basically just uh, Russian roulette. Take your pick, but either way, you're getting you're getting pounded by the corporations. So I can tell you which is the winner. <laughs> All right, good. We're going to settle it right here with Lee Kim. He's going to let us know what is the winner. The winner is TPP because it crushes net neutrality within it. Oh, absolutely. And that's the, <laughs> but see, that's the glory of corporations. They have ways to write contract law into screwing you both coming and going. Isn't that so nice of them? It's like saying, uh, you know, which is worse to have uh, a uh, spear thrown through you or a Godzilla attacking you, well, the TPP is Godzilla holding the spear. So it's, uh, it's both. Uh, 
because it puts, yeah, it tries to put all the call in the corporations and therefore uh, they will essentially be able to crush net neutrality if, if it's not crushed in other ways. So. Well, I, I think that it's, um, you know, obviously you and I come from a couple of different, I guess, different backgrounds philosophically and, and what we'd like to see in the world, but but I think that we're so far from having a philosophical discussion about what kind of world we want to end up in that I think we need to first um, try to unite both sides of the aisle, I guess, if, if you will, and try to really tackle these things like net neutrality and the TPP that that really don't, they don't give a shit if you're an anarcho-capitalist or an anarcho-syndicalist or, or even if you're a, a hardline Democrat or a hardline Republican. They are going to absolutely gut your, your freedoms and then present you with this new internet, Lee, that you'll get to pay for and, and you'll be in the slow lane and everybody will get to see your, see your um, comedy special at uh, 256 KB and it'll be so fantastic. Well, yeah, and, and what people need to realize is that it's not just that you'll have to pay maybe more for different sites, mm -hmm. but more importantly than that, they will slow down uh, the other people's ability to get to your site or to get to the little guy's site, you know. As I said in the video I did about it, the moment of clarity about it, you know, who is the little guy? Well, the little guy's my videos. It's your videos. It's podcasts. It's uh it's, you know, your mom and pop shop that only sells beer cozies and dildos and dildo cozies designed to keep your dildo warm when you aren't using it. Like, those are the things that it's going to, it'll, it'll make Walmart's site the fastest you've ever seen and any other website that's trying to compete with Walmart the slowest you've ever seen and thereby uh, just promoting and building up these corporations that have gotten to mammoth size already. Uh, so, yeah, that's why we need to find for it. That's why I was... At Occupy the FCC uh, last year. Um, two great actors, Margaret Fleck and Kevin Deese, kind of helping organize that. And it's because the FCC is currently voting this mm -hmm. week and next week on this rule about net neutrality. So if anybody's in Washington, D.C., I highly recommend you go down to the FCC and be a part of Occupy the FCC. But also, if you're not in D.C., then, uh, you know, email them. I think they actually do take public comments. And apparently there is some rumors that at least if one or two of the chairmen are starting to cave a little bit. So it actually is having an effect. No, the chairman actually came out and said, I don't really like what this is doing. This is going to really be bad for free speech, and it's going to... But people like, um, you know, whatever you think of their politics, like the Drudge Report and, and, and other right-wing organizations, it's going to put them at a severe disadvantage. Basically, just it, it will put anything that would criticize any fashion of government. So that would obviously include my show because I think that government is antiquated. And I don't really think that we need people in suits, you know, pulling levers and making backroom deals and deciding the fate of humanity. Because I think it's just silly at this point with all this technology that we have that we can't do something as a human species and just say, you know what, why do I need to elect somebody that's probably going to go get funded or at least co-opted by some big oil company to come in and block certain things or to go push certain things that are never going to be good for the people. It's always going to be good for the corporations, and that's why you've seen the, the, the gap widen from billionaires and the poverty level, it's because government allows these people to take backroom deals, and they allow people to do things like that. And it's not that the big guys don't have the money to do it. It's just that they're basically pushing us around, and that's why the Stanford Institute – or was it Stanford or Princeton that did the study that said that we're an oligarchy? I think it was Princeton, right? 
Yeah, I can't remember which it was, but yeah, that was a great study showing that in, uh, I believe it was 1,779 different policy issues. Um, and then, by the way, when I talked about this, I was like, I didn't even know there were more than like five policy issues. I mean, <laughs> the most, let's see, I can list are immigration, abortion, and uh, whether fat guys have to buy two seats on the airplane, I think. Yeah. But, uh, those, those are the ones I'm able to list. But no, they, seven, uh, 1,779 policy issues, they found out that basically uh, there's no difference between the, the, you know, the average person has no effect on what the policy deciders, the, the policy makers will do on those issues uh, has essentially no effect. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it doesn't even calculate the effect that the average person has on these things, which means we are an oligarchy. We are ruled by a very small elite, and the media serves to promote those elites, and, and yet at the same time act like we are not ruled by an elite. I mean, the, the combination of those two things, the elite doing the governing and the media saying everything's fine, yeah. it's how you, you, you solidify this, this system. And, you know, I agree with what you were saying earlier that uh, the two sides need to, the, the two sides in terms of America need to come together to say that this two-party system is a joke. I mean, it is, it, the two parties, and this is coming from someone who considers himself a Democrat for a long time, but the two sides are, are, exactly the same on 90% of the structural issues that, that control our country, that decide our, you know, how we live our lives, and is a very small 10% difference in terms of you know, gay marriage and uh, uh, abortion and a couple other things. But in terms of Wall Street and military and where our money's going, uh, it's, it's exactly the same. So you end up with this basically one-party system, which is uh, an oligarchy of a, a very elite group. Yeah, and it's been like that for a long time. And once again, if you look back at how these things happen, it's, it's always, if you look back in history, it's always the oligarchs using government in order to shut down their competition and to create the system that we've created. Because if you look at the writings of people like Patrick Henry, who were the anti-federalists, that looked at the Constitution and said, look, you're either getting two things out of this. You're either getting a dictatorship of the Congress or you're getting the dictatorship of the electorate. That's the only two ways that it's going to go. And what do we have? We have a dictatorship of Congress and the electorate, and it's through soft corporate deals in the back room saying that, hey, you scratch your back. Or And, and I think that um, that, that show um, – good God, I cannot think of it right now. Uh, huh? Out of the Yeah. Perfect example of, of how business is done in Washington, and that's just from an outside perspective looking. It really does – that these guys will go and play ball, and they don't give a flying rip about us. They care about getting reelected, and they care about you know moving the ball down the field as far as moving their campaign and moving not necessarily their agenda, but moving their little tax around so that they can call up a a a, a, um, a favor from somebody from the other side of the aisle, you know, maybe next week or something like that. Right, and and although I still think he's a horrible human being, Jack Abramoff can tell you all this stuff. You know, he was on the inside, went to jail for a few years, and then came out acting like he's reformed and and has told everybody how it works. And mm-hmm. Absolutely, a you know a quid pro quo system. Um, but it it you know and, and and here's the thing is like I feel like we don't have a lot of time. I feel like we're driving this this planet off off a cliff. And you can argue basically the argument between Democrats and Republicans is do we want to drive the car off the cliff at this angle or slightly five degrees to the left? Is it, you know, which angle do we want to go? And most of America is looking out the back window of the car going, oh, that sunset's pretty. Yeah. 
Well, that's the that's the very truth. And then and then you have like you said the the corporate media will. And I think that this is the reason for the push for the for the TPP and the net neutrality is because they're 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 scared of people like yourself and myself that will that will put you know our political ideology aside and just and just grab people and say, hey dude, look at this shit. You really want this for your kids? You really want this as a future? You really want guys in black uniforms running around, pushing people around, pepper, pepper spraying an entire college campus? Nobody gets in trouble. You got people like John. I, that guy actually got $36,000 for doing that after he was fired. Oh, God, you got to love state. They, the state they, they awarded, so good. They awarded him $36,000 for, like, a, a depression caused by emotional trauma or something. Never mind the physical harm that he caused those kids in Pepper Spray and the emotional trauma he caused them because he's a warden in the state. He's got a shiny badge and a uniform and a costume on, so that makes him okay. But I, I really do think that, you know, once we get down to brass tacks here, it comes down to how can we fix this? And, you know, we've had some solutions. Like you said, and I, and I will defend people that went to Occupy because, hey, at least they tried something. They tried a tactic. They tried to, to go and sit there and pester the guys from Wall Street and say, here's our list of demands. And then, of course, the right-wing media says, these guys don't know what they're doing. They don't have a list of demands, all this other crap. Right, and and I you know I was at Occupy on the first night, and I ended up performing at probably a dozen different Occupies around the country. And you know the the idea of standing up against this incredible inequality, this incredible raping and pillaging of the of the world, of our country, of our people. Uh, you know, I, I don't care if if maybe there was a drum circle there or not that people want to make fun of. It, <laughs> it, it, it's people willing to stand up for, uh, against this. And, and I'm, I'm quite proud of, of the people there and, and what we accomplished uh, with that. I mean, people want to say it was a failure. Well, certain aspects are a failure, but to change the entire conversation in this country over the span of two months without any media or actually with media actively against you sure. is incredibly difficult. I mean, you know, civil rights took 10 years, and over two months we went from talk of austerity to talk of uh, income inequality and the egregiously rich you know, it, 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 actually, it, it totally changed the conversation. We're, we're living in a country where we spend 57% of discretionary funding on military and 6% on education. So you end up with drones that are smart as fuck and teenagers that can't be allowed near scissors without supervision. So it, it shows our priorities, or at least the priorities that are people deciding those types of things, and, and people should stand up against it. Right, and then you you look at you look at other other developed civilizations around the world, and I don't mean to bring this in because it's kind of a political football issue, but just look at how backwards our society is, and the fact that you know you can be 18 and sign up for the military and go take a bullet for this country, but you got to be 21 to take a sip of alcohol. Which in most nations, developed nations, they start drinking alcohol at about 12 years old. Somebody will give them a sip of wine or something at dinner, and so you learn that hey. This is a drug. It can affect me, so therefore I'm not going to abuse it. But what do we have here in America? We have a substance abuse problem, and it's not because it's not because of the fact that we're educated. It's alcohol is far more dangerous than a semi-automatic. All right. Amen. Amen. But you know what? It well, makes it makes a it makes a loud noise, and it's really scary if you point it at somebody. So we got to take we got to get all those off the street, and that's and and then you know the government can launder all the drugs, and they can ship in all the guns and ship them everywhere, and that's fine because you know there are rulers, and that's and I think that that's one thing we have to get past um, just philosophically is that why do we need rulers? And I know that that's you know the anarchist and myself coming out, but. It, it, there is a segment of society that believes that if we don't have people in black uniforms standing on the street corner pointing 
the guns at us and telling us not to do things, that we're just going to run haywire. And it's kind of like what Ron Paul said, and I don't mean to, you know, piggyback on a Ron Paul libertarian, you know, aspect of this because I want to keep it a neutral conversation. But when when they tried to attack him in the Republican um, primaries and say, well, you want to legalize everything and decriminalize everything, and you know that means that you would you wouldn't want people to you know have legal access to heroin. He says in a room full of twenty five thousand people, how many people will go out tomorrow and shoot up heroin if it's legal? Probably no one. But it's it's this idea that we need a a, a ruling class or some kind of authority to tell us to to protect ourselves. And I think it's silly. And I think that you know the the status quo is seeing that. Their shit's unraveling, and that's why you got to get the TPP, and that's why you got to censor people like yourself and myself, because we're making people think. Heaven forbid we make people use common sense. Heaven forbid. Yeah, yeah and and you know, despite the, the various disagreements I have with Ron Paul, I I think that he was a perfect example, as was Jill Stein, of what's done to a third party candidate. And even though he didn't call himself a third party Republican, even though I probably agree with more of what he said than what Democrats said, which is you know, why the, the two-party paradigm is so ridiculous. But it was a perfect example. You know, you have the votes being changed to caucuses to make sure Ron Paul doesn't get ahead. You have the media completely ignoring him. Jill Stein's chained to a chair when she tries to, to, to attend one of the debates in a, in a room with an armed guard for the entirety of the debate. Like, that's how afraid of, of any outside thought this, this two-party system is. Yeah, you got to you got to keep the paradigm moving, man. You can't let the slaves know that they're slaves. And that was one of my favorite moment of clarities that you did was um, talking about how everybody's basically a debt slave and a feudal serf because that's what we that's what we are. We're we're slaves to the to the Federal Reserve system, to the banking oligarchy. And that's one thing that I always love is every time there's a Federal Reserve rally, I'll go to downtown Atlanta where there's one of our convenient little privately owned Federal Reserve system banks down there. And you'll see people from all over the all over the political spectrum, Tea Party people, um, Occupy people, people like myself that that understand the system's a scam. But we're all there together in solidarity, going, "Hey, this is the problem." And then you have, like you said, the people looking out the back of the bus, walking by, and going, "What are you guys protesting?" And it's kind of silly, but yeah, and the amount of power the banks, you know, whether it be the Federal Reserve or Chase Bank, uh, you know, has over the people is pretty incredible. It's like they can. We saw the uh, insane number of foreclosures that went on following the collapse. Uh, millions of people thrown out of their homes. The bank grabbing homes left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, you know a lot of it's been proven that they didn't have the the right to grab these homes. And right. even when they did, a lot of it was predatory lending, knowing no. someone's not going to be able to pay their this the, uh, these variable rate mortgages. Mm-hmm. And and with basically very little punishment, very few people going into jail, very few changes to stop this from happening again. Uh, you know, th- that type of behavior does not get punished. Meanwhile, the people that kick out of their homes, the homeless, you have, like, living in your car and becoming criminalized. Yep. You know, there's videos of cops arresting people for sitting because they've been warned they're not allowed to sit in Denver, Colorado. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, the, the being homeless is being criminalized while the bankers who are actively kicking people out of their homes and stealing their homes from them, essentially, that's not criminalized. Right, and there was um, you know, I got I got in a conversation with a a friend of mine that was very big into um, very big into into climate change and about how to try to make this world a better place. And he and I had a philosophical difference in a couple of things. And I said, well, what you're what you're saying about climate change is very uh, understandable, and and I and I get that. But what I'm trying to tell you is, 
is that even if you try to do everything to mitigate climate change, almost everything that you could do is illegal in the United States or becoming illegal. Growing your own food is becoming illegal. You know, having, having solar or, or wind energy that's not tied into the system is illegal. So anything to try to get you out of the system is, is basically illegal. So when you're talking about making moves for climate change and making moves to lower your, your, um, your carbon footprint, I get it. I understand it. But what you have to understand is that they're not leaving you an out for this. They're not going to let you get away with this. They're not going to let you get off the plantation. Right, and, and you know, I, I believe strongly, I don't think it's a belief thing, but I believe strongly in climate change and that we're uh, you know, driving our existence off a cliff. But I don't, I believe you're right that if you, unless we are able to control the power of the corporation and, and uh, you know, nothing's going to change. I mean, the system will not change. They will, they put profit. Profit is the, the everything has a price on it, whether it's human life, whether it's a tree, whether it's a river. You know, the, the, the head of CEO of Nestle says that water is not a human right. Yep. Like, these things all have a price on it, and they will exploit every last ounce, every last uh, life to get more and more profit. So until you change that, you will not be able to change the system that is destroying our environment uh, in many, many different ways. And uh, uh, what was I going to say about that? Uh, Ah, I lost it. That's all right. I'll edit it out. Let's go ahead okay. to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like the the food freedom issue for me is is huge because that's what my wife and I are going to do. We're going to move out of the city. We're going to move back into the country where we're both from. We're going to plant gardens. We're gonna we're gonna start doing our own things and trying to grow our own food and raise chickens so we can have our own eggs and things like that. Just to to mitigate the the factory farming and stuff like that. And the problem that I have with a lot of armchair activists, and I do get on rants like this every once in a while, is that they know the issues and they know the problems, that, but they don't. They'll sit there and tell me all day that oh well we need to stop factory farming and then they go out that afternoon and go to Publix or Whole Foods or something like that and they're like no 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 you don't get it you have to be self-sustainable in order to bring down the system but then we run into the dichotomy of if we break away from the system we're going to get violence if we try to overthrow the system so I guess to sum it up how do we how do we shift the paradigm peacefully and and remove all you know remove all predetermined ideology of what we want the system to be eventually and how do we get this to a place where we can then have a rational debate about here's the kind of society that I think would be beneficial and here's the and here's the pros to it and here's the kind of society that you think would be beneficial here's the pros and cons to that and let's have a rational debate how do you think that we get from from where we're at now currently where we're basically like you said slaves to the corporations and and to piggyback on what you said the top 50 corporations produce more CO2 than all of the other rest of the people inhabitants of the world combined. So, yeah, it is the corporations polluting the planet. It is the, their problem. It's not us. But they're going to turn around and blame it on us. They're going to say, oh, it's you guys. Oh, it's you. No, no, no. No, assholes. It's you. It's always you, but you exempt yourself from the laws. Well, and, and you know, to, to borrow some thoughts from Chris Hedges, it's, there's no one really to blame. I mean, yes, you can put a CEO in jail, but a new one will take his place. Sure. Uh, and it, uh, Chris Hedges, and I know he got this term from someone else, but it's inverted totalitarianism. It's the totalitarianism of the corporate state, the anonymous corporate state. And so 
you, it, oh, this is actually what I was going to say earlier, that one way to do this, to, to limit the power of the corporation uh, heavily, is to make it so that every corporation needs to have a charter for an area. Like, each city decides whether a corporation should be allowed to, to function in their city, and you could have direct democracy to do that. And, and if, if a corporation had a charter, uh, you know, had to, had to make the people understand why they're good for them, then... People wouldn't vote to pollute, them, pollute themselves. They wouldn't vote to send all their jobs to China. And, you know, this is also why Richard Wolff, a great economist, uh, is strongly behind workplace democracy, where workers get to vote whether they send all their jobs to China. And, you know, if corporations were a democracy, a full-on direct democracy, it would be a completely different system. So I think that's part of it. In terms of overall change, I do believe that a lot of it needs to be in our heads. Like, there needs to be, we're fighting basically an information battle against uh, all the mainstream media and against all the advertisements we take in all day long. I mean, the amount of impact that, that being told you are not right, you're not healthy, you're not, you're not uh, uh, thin enough, you, 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 you need to take pharmaceuticals, you, and, and here are the answers. All these things you can buy will solve all the right. problems. And even the people that think they're smart enough to see through it, oh, it's just an advertisement. If you hear that all day long, every day, you start to, it starts to sink in. It starts to make an, influ an influence impact. So that's what, you know, we're, we're fighting against, is to change people's mind against, you know, the endless consumerism and against supporting this, this two-party system. But, and I think that there is some hope for that. Like, mm -hmm. it's not hopeless. Like, you, you look at how quickly people are changing, their minds are changing over the past, say, decade. I mean, to watch uh, support of uh, gay rights, equality, just completely go from whatever it was, 20% in this country to 80% in this country, and to watch legalization of marijuana go from, like, 20% to, like, 70% it, over a span of a decade, it's because this information is getting out there. Mm -hmm. It's a, sometimes a slower process than we want, but it's... It is getting out there. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, just to piggyback on a couple of your issues, you can see the power of the information once truth gets injected. It's, it's, um, and what you were talking about where you, where you have the, the, um, the, the product of repetition, uh, that's a logical fallacy. And, and for people to understand what logical fallacies are and to, and to incorporate those into your day-to-day -day life and to make them your intellectual self-defense, just because Fox News sits there and says weapons of mass destruction 6,000 times doesn't mean there's fucking weapons of mass destruction. It means that they're trying to basically canary you into believing it because once you hear it so many times, it becomes almost like newspeak like in 1984 where everything is correct because I heard it so many times and percentages are correct because I heard them so many times and all of this other craziness. But I think that when we get down to brass tacks and what you were talking about, the information, once it gets out, like when you ask somebody that's against um, legalization of marijuana, for example, which is one of my big pet peeves, I am such a big proponent of it because I understand what it does as a microcosm. It not only feeds criminality, it starts kids out on a life of crime because it's something illegal, so it glorifies it. Then you get put into the private prison system, and then you have all these little different dominoes that fall behind it. So not only that, but it's... And furthermore, it's used to, uh, you know, it is the new Jim Crow. It is used to keep this racist system intact. I mean, you know, uh, I talk about it in this new special. I do a bit on uh, our racist criminal justice system. 
And uh, the numbers, uh, you know, I might be off by one or two percentage points, but basically uh, black people uh, are 13% of drug users and 13% of the population. Yep. Now they're 38% of those arrested for drugs and 60% of people convicted for drugs. Correct. So doing the same amount of drugs and there's 60% of conviction. Mm -hmm. And it, it is the most racist thing in the world. And so you end up just locking up mostly people of color in these privatized prisons designed to, put, again, put profit on people's lives, on their heads. And, it, yeah, it, it absolutely destroys communities, destroys lives endlessly. And, and then when you look at what, like what you said, and then we can kind of go back and, and circle back and, and finish, you know, finish the idea of what can happen when the truth gets out. When people, when you ask people, like here, here's my big thing. They're like, oh, well, I'm against the legalization of marijuana. My first question for them is, hey, why did it become illegal? And they're like, I don't know. The Congress voted on it. I said, you should really read, and it won't take you very long, about – Congress didn't even know that they were voting out cannabis. They thought it was some new drug that was on the marketplace. And the Speaker of the House, when he got up in front of the Senate, said, they're like, what is this marijuana? He's like, I don't know. It's some kind of hallucinogenic drug. And they're like, all right, bang, gavel. All right, we're done. Let's break for lunch. And right. nobody went back. And, and then when, when it got passed and they started grabbing people and, and locking them up for it, they are like, wait, whoa, 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 what, what the hell are you doing? This is like half of our medicine is based on this stuff. And I think that once you start seeing this get back and into the – And most laws in the Congress are passed that same way yep. with people going. People go, what did we just vote on? I don't know. It's fine. Yeah, let's go grab lunch. Where are we going? The co all right, cocktails at, at your place at 7 or, or at the other place? Okay, 7. All right, great. But uh, any closing comments, man, before we go? I, I'm really glad that we got into a lot of political stuff because uh, your, your great insight for me and, and getting a different perspective is always fun. So uh, anything else do you want to wrap up with, and then you can, uh, you can plug all your stuff, and I'll put links in there and everything for you. Uh, sure. As long as we're on uh, marijuana, I love the gateway drug argument. It's a gateway which has drug. It's never been proven. And it's and well, and furthermore, if you, even if you wanted to believe that, which is utterly ridiculous. All right, we'll find it's a gateway drug. Well, what was the gateway drug to pot? Drinking. How many people had pot? How many, how many people drank before they had pot? Almost everyone. All right, so drinking's the gateway drug. What was the gateway drug to drink? Well, you can go back and back and back to the initial gateway drug, which is eating paste when you were five years old, right? You eat enough of that shit, you get blackout drunk, you wake up in Cancun with your pants around your ankles and a tattoo on your ass, right? We've all seen it a million times. But, <laughs> you know, so the gateway drug is an insane argument. But anyway, uh, yes, it's been a pleasure talking to you and my comedy special that I mentioned a couple of times. I talk about a lot of these issues you and I got into, but I make them funny. And it was taped live in, in New York City at the Bowery, Bowery Electric. It's uh, pay what you want uh, at LeeCamp.net. So uh, if people just, uh, you can just go there and you, and you donate whatever it is you feel the hour is worth. And uh, then you get to download it, digital download, three camera shoot. And uh, people seem to really be liking it. So. Yeah, man, it was uh, it was very it was very well done, and um, like you said, a lot of truth in there. And once again, I, I absolutely love the portion that you that you give a portion of the proceeds to Doctors Without Borders because we do need to start understanding that um, we do have a limited amount of time on this planet. We do have a limited amount of scope where we can actually be effective against the oligarchs, and that's 
you know, one of these days I want to get into the conspiracy side of all this stuff with you because I've done a lot of conspiracy research and I and I think it would be an enter- entertaining conversation. But we'll we'll save that for another time. But uh, Lee Camp, thanks so much for the time, man. Great talking with you as always. And uh, I guess I will start calling you a friend of the show once I get you on one more time because I guess the fourth time's a charm or something. <laughs> all right, sounds good, man. See you, brother. Take care. Thanks, man.